Here we go. Welcome to Guardians and Gladiators this week's episode. I'm your host, Lozy, and always is with me my good friend, my co-host, D. Hey, Lozy, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, buddy. Good, good, good. I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness here. I have a superstar with me on the show. This is this is an honor for me, I have to tell you. It's an honor for me to be on this show with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's not every week that you get to, to chat with somebody who was dropping the puck at a London Knights game, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, that was quite the night Friday. That was... That was special. That was yeah. special. How did it feel? It, it felt good. But when when we were waiting there to go out there to do it, I was I was getting a little bit nervous because there's like you know between five and eight thousand fans in attendance, and it was like, ah, what if this is going to happen? What happens if this happens? But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I I just said, let's do it. They called us out, walked out there, met the two captains, dropped the puck. It was it was great. Awesome. Well, you looked confident in anything. You'd never known you were nervous. You looked amazing doing it. It was great having you out there. It was great for Special Olympics. Uh, you're a great ambassador for Special Olympics London, and you represented them extremely well. So good for you. Uh, we thank the London Knights and the entire Hockey League for um, – taking the time to honor Special Olympics with their OHL big ticket. Each team throughout the league gets to do this on a different night. And Friday, of course, was ours. And the Knights pulled out a nice win in overtime to, to celebrate it even more. So that was great. Yeah. Good. Well, this week's show, here we go. Another exciting show. <clears throat> we have uh, an athlete ambassador from London, um, John Adlington is going to be on to talk to us about uh, not only what John is missing with Special Olympics, but what he's looking forward to getting back. And he's got quite a resume as well, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I, I have golfed with him on their golfing team, been a, been to a provincial games with him with golf, and he, he's been around quite. Yeah. yeah, as well. We'll find out about that when we talk to John and our other guest today is retired London police chief and honorary colonel with the armed forces, Murray Faulkner will be joining us. Now, Murray has a long, long involvement with Special Olympics um, dating back well over 30 years, but we will talk to Murray about that and a little bit about Remembrance Day, which is coming up this week. So we'll be back with our first guest right after this. And welcome back to Guardians and Gladiators, folks. And we have our first guest. He's been a he's been around for quite a while in Special Olympic sports. Welcome to the show, John Atley. Thank you, sir, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, how are you? Good yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Yeah, we understand you're just home from work, eh? Yep. Yeah. A busy work at Home Depot. <laughs> wow. Good for you. Busy weekends. You were saying it's Black Friday week, so everybody's out looking for oh, deals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. So, John, when 
When, when did you start Special Olympics and what sport did you do first? So I started on Special Olympics back when I was around eight or nine years old and um, swimming was my um, first sport in um, Tilsonburg Special Olympics. Eight or nine, that's amazing. And how yep. long ago would that be, John? What are you now, 18, 19? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. He, he just turned 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been quite a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, that's about um, 30, around um, 29, 28 years ago. Wow, that's amazing. What's yep. so cool is that like even that far back, they still had Special Olympics available for young kids like eight or nine, right? Yeah. Because I think that's probably a, a, an age range where not as many parents know about Special Olympics or know that they can get their kids involved at that young of an age, do they? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So you started in swimming. Where'd you go from there? What sports did you start um, doing after that? So after that, I took... Um, some time off and went to like and went to high school on that and then I started back when I was um 18 I ended up joining basketball in Tilsonburg at the age of 18. Nice and when did you make the move to London? Um, I made the move to London in um, 2010 and I started in bocce ball that uh, bocce ball and curling that fall. Nice. Nice. Um, how, what, do you have any favorite moments in any of your sports? Like, how far did you go? Um, I have to say the um, greatest moments that I've had is going to national games in both um, Vancouver, BC, and Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And then as well as the provincials that I've been, which I've been to four provincials in York region, um, up in Sault Ste. Marie, and um, I forget, and I forget where the other two were. <laughs> <laughs> what what sports? What sports did you go for nationals? I went to um, well, I've actually been to three. I've been to Thunder Bay as well. I've um been to in bc and um nova scotia i went for curling for bocce i mean and then um curling in um up in thunder bay it was cold up there wasn't it i was up there too (laughs) (laughs) it was chilly yes (laughs) john aside from the actual sports themselves what would you say has been the best part of Special Olympics for you? Um, being involved in the torch runs and <laughs> and also meeting, getting to meet people like um, Scott Moyer and um, Jennifer Jones, among others that we got to meet through the Special Olympics sports. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool, especially yeah, with me. you being a curler and getting to meet Jennifer Jones. That's pretty exciting, yeah. eh? <laughs> yeah, meet, meeting the athletes, <clears throat> the, the professional athletes at these at the provincial games are are pretty cool. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. 
as far as like, I want you to try and think back and all the years that you've been involved in Special Olympics, what do you think your life would have been like without Special Olympics? Well, I never would have, like, I'm really big on traveling. I always, always have been. And in Tilstenburg, it's so, it was so, like, um, we got to travel a bit, but, like, without being involved with Special Olympics, I probably wouldn't have got to travel to as many of the cool places that I've got to be and meet a lot of the um, friends and a lot of the athletes that I got to meet along the way as well. Like, I've made a lot of um, friendships that will last a lifetime being involved with Special Olympics. Absolutely. Absolutely. That seems to be a common theme whenever we talk to athletes here. Um, the friendships that they've made come up and, and it's some of the most important parts of, of being involved with it. Completely. Yep. So that's great. That is excellent. Let's get John to do our little, uh, our little game that we do with all of our athletes. I shouldn't say game. Let's get him to do our, our, um, our oath that we do with all the athletes. So, so as, as athletes, John, we, we follow, we follow an oath. Yep. Can you tell us your oath? Let me win. And if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. Can you tell us when you were brave in the attempt? I have to say when I was brave in the attempt would have to be when I, um, like all the times when I was down in the, in the sports, when I, um, when I was behind in bocce or behind in curling and I didn't let it go. I just um, took a deep breath and I like persevered. And also like, if I lose, like I'm always the first one to shake the other person's hand or um, wish them well in like their next games or whatever. Uh, it's pretty much what that oath is all about, isn't it, John? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's yeah. great. So speaking of your sports and your oath, it's been a while since you've had a chance to recite that oath, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been about almost two years. Yeah, it's coming up to two years. Wow. Yeah. What, what have you missed the most in the past two years? Um. I miss being able to get out and um, and spend time with the athletes and get to see the coaches. Like, uh, um, being at Home Depot, I've got the opportunity to see some of the coaches as well as being um, part of the athlete ambassador program. I've got to see a bunch of coaches that some of the athletes don't get to see. Um, so... But I just miss like being able to get out and do stuff. Like right now, it's literally um, go go to work and come home for me. Yeah. So, so this athlete ambassador program. Tell us a little bit about about what you do with that. Um. So, a lot of times with the athlete ambassador program is we go out and we participate in some of the fundraisers that the different um, places have 
four Special Olympics, like the um the one at uh, Staples, and then there's the volunteer work that we do at like Costco and Boston Pizza, as well as um doing all these little videos that we put on for like the athletes and the coaches and then just being uh just being an inspiration to all the athletes during this hard time excellent now you mentioned video uh i have to mention this since both of you are on the show here the most recent <laughs> little video posted by special olympics london <laughs> talking about the sports coming back and yep. of course i saw two faces i'm quite familiar with one's my co-host here, Mr. Lozon, and the other being yourself, Mr. Adlington, both of you starring yep. in these little videos. <laughs> hey? Yep. Yeah. That's excellent. That's a lot of fun, actually. That's great. And this one, of course, was talking about the sports coming back. Are you excited about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah? Okay. What's, uh, which sport do you think you'll be back into first? Have you heard any rumors or anything? Um, right now, it seems like um, Bocce is probably going to be the um, first one coming back. Nice. Haven't heard much about curling yet. No. no. Good, good. Well, we are getting into the winter season, so um, curling could very well be on the horizon. Yep. That would be nice. I've been watching a lot of the professional <laughs> curling on TV, so. Yeah. Learning what not we, to do. <laughs> yep. Too bad we, too bad we couldn't get the golf first, hey John. Oh, exactly. Tilstenberg had golf. Did they really? Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. I think uh, although the next week's supposed to be quite nice, I think we're going to be out of golfing weather very soon here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I got in a. I got in a few um, a few golf games in this year, so. Nice. Good. At least you got out there. That's good. Yeah. Good. Nice having my dad and my brothers actually get into golf now. So ah. have someone to golf with. Okay. You showing them how to do That's it. Pretty cool. Yep. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, John, I know you're just back from work. And I think just before we let you go, I think Home Depot deserves a shout out along with a lot of other employers who, who, yep. um, take the chance that some employers aren't willing to take and that's by hiring some people with intellectual disabilities and you know you've been there a long time because i've seen you there off off and on for years now like how yeah, many I've how long have you been there for five years in february nice nice and Losey, you Pretty were good. how long have you been at your place uh it's gonna be four years in may at, at the idle wild Idle Wild yeah. Home Depot. Well, we're going to give both those employees, employers a shout out because I think uh, they're the better for it as well as the customers. Cause I know uh, John works his butt off anytime I've seen him there. I remember during uh, the lockdown when there was only curbside pickup and nothing else yep. and you were back and forth. I sat there waiting for, I think I'd bought some little tiny thing. I had to wait hours and hours for. Yep. And in the meantime, I saw you back and forth and back and forth. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, you earn your keep. That's for sure. Well, John, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's great to have you on our podcast. We were excited thank when we found out much. you're going to be joining us. Yeah, thank you. 
All right. And hopefully Thanks. you get those sports up and running again soon. And we can see you instead of on a screen looking like the Brady Bunch here, we'll see you yeah, exactly. <laughs> out on the fields or in the, the, the arenas or wherever you're going to be. Yeah. All right. Okay, John, you <laughs> take care. For, you guys Thanks for coming on, night. John. Anytime. Bye now. Bye. And Lozy and I will be right back after this. And welcome back to Guardians and Gladiators. What a first guest we had, but now it's time for our special guest. He was a former police chief of London. Welcome to the show, Murray Faulkner. Well, thanks for having me. I don't know about special, but I'm here all right. Well, we use the term special just to make people feel good. But oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the first special guest. Let's put it no, that way. I, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Murray? Good. Um, I, I'm. I'm hoping this uh, this pandemic that we've been in is going to uh, run its course, and that we can get back to some normalcy, and that Special Olympics can get back to uh, being involved with what they do best, and that's uh, involve the athletes and and uh, the social aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that, that was kind of the theme uh, last week on our show. We had Gary but, Geddes, who is the registrar for. Special Olympics London, and we were chatting with him about some of the sports that are starting to make a slow comeback. And, um, you know, so it looks like some things. Chris was pretty excited a couple of weeks ago. He found out floor hockey was back. So I think you guys have already had your first, your first yeah, we, uh, session. Yeah, last, last Monday we had our first session. It was good to see everybody again. Yeah, so, so we're getting there. We're getting there. It seems like so, a slow process, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So what, how, how long were you involved with Special Olympics and what was your uh, involvement? Um, well, uh, it's, a, it's a funny way to be involved. Um, I guess I was in, well, I still am involved in Special Olympics in, in a roundabout way, uh, you know, with the local, with the local uh, program. Uh, Linda and I uh, uh, contribute financially. Uh, to the program and try to support as many special events as we can. Um, but I got involved uh, kind of happenstance. Um, the London police um, were involved with the Special Olympics the very first year it started. And uh, the individual at the police station in charge of the Special Olympic uh, or the torch run for Special Olympics at that time uh, wrote a, a, a report to the chief of police saying, he wasn't sure that uh, the Torch Run was an organization that the London Police should be involved in. And so the second year that it happened, uh, London Police weren't involved in the Special Olympics. But there was a lot of pressure put on uh, the chief to say, listen, you better have another look at this. And so um, Shipley was our chief at the time. And he said to, to me, I was a, I think I was maybe a constable or just a sergeant said, would you have another look at that? And uh, so I did, and I thought, gee, this is this is a great organization, and that uh, we should be supporting it as a, a law enforcement agency, and 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 be part of this unique uh, unique organization, in which you know most other police services were. And uh, so then uh, the rest basically is history. We. Um, I started to coordinate with the local Special Olympics program. At that time, 
They had an office uh, in a basement on Adelaide near Commissioner's Road. And um, I started to uh, promote Special Olympics uh, internally and sell t-shirts. And then it blossomed to coordinating all the Southwestern Ontario shirt distribution. And then eventually uh, when I became chief, I, uh, I was the chairperson for uh, the law enforcement torch run for Special Olympics in the province of Ontario for probably uh, five, six, seven years. I then went on the national board for Special Olympics, was on there for four or five years. And of course, no one wants an old retired chief of police anymore. So now it's just contributions <laughs> in any way I can. As, as, as when you were chief, did you ever join in any of the runs for the torch run? Sorry, oh, yes. You? Yeah, I mean, when I was a lot younger, I did. But when I was chief, I didn't. I mean, I had young guys like Mark McGugan and Derek Spence to run. I mean, there needs to be organizers and then there needs to be runners, right? So I needed to be at headquarters or wherever it was to receive the uh, torch from from uh, our officers running. But I'll tell you, we've, we've had some great runs, huge participation by London police. We were one of the few police services, and I don't know if it's still on the wall, to have the large flame of hope given which means we raised over, I forget what was it, a million dollars or something uh, through the police uh, police efforts. So yes, uh, I, I used to run, but not anymore. <laughs> Someone needed to do the speeches at the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that too. But everybody has their, their niche in life, and mine was not running the torch. <laughs> so oh, been, I have been involved with many final legs, at um, uh, OACP events, uh, bringing in the torch. Right. And I will say, I guess, I think, you know, um, the highlight for me with Special Olympics was in 2010. And matter of fact, I was supposed to have retired back in, I think it was 2008 or 2009. But I knew that uh, I had to raise uh, about $2 million to put on the games, the 2010 National Summer Games. and. And I knew it was easier to raise money uh, as the chief than the retired chief. And uh, the police services board at the time extended my contract. And, uh, and I think we put on a very good, successful uh, summer games. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, greatly enhanced by my senior officers. Uh, everyone stepped forward and, and took part in, in organizing the games. Uh, and uh, no, it was a great success. And then I guess a week and a half after the games closed, I retired. Yeah, it, it, that was something I was going to touch on that, the 2010 games. And um, when we talk about the torch run, I, I think it probably still must go down as the largest torch run for any games. I think probably even in Canada, we had about 500 runners running up. Oh, I don't, yeah, I, no, there's you know. no, there's no games that are going to come close to that. No, it and was it was incredible. a combination of being in Southwestern Ontario being close to the Ontario Police College mm -hmm. that bust a lot of people forward. Um, yeah. No, it was it was a very special evening. Yeah, it, I mean, I don't know if you're, Chris, were you, were you part of the 2010 games? No. No? No. The, uh, in the opening ceremonies, we had a helicopter <laughs> fly in with uh, Don Cherry aboard the helicopter. And, um, you know, it was pretty exciting. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, Murray, when you mentioned about OACP there, obviously Associ Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police, we could probably even go right up to the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And the Torch Run is their charity of choice, right? And that's 
kind of been that way yeah. for a long time. So give us a little insight as to when you're a part of those meetings with all the other chiefs, we, we hear about it and we hear that they support Special Olympics, but how do they really feel? What's the feeling among the chiefs when it comes to the torch run and Special Olympics? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the, the torch run started in the United States without a doubt. Uh, and it has a, a very strong history with the International Association of Chiefs of Police. But, you know, let's be honest, the International Association of Chiefs of Police predominantly is United States. Mm -hmm. uh, the conferences are pretty well always hosted in the United States. It has been hosted in Canada. Uh, there are European arms of the International Association of Chiefs of Police, but big conferences are always in the state. So there's always part of the opening uh, ceremonies uh, involving Special Olympics. There's always a, a part of a final leg, but really it boils down to every individual police service and how the head of the organization wants to support his or her staff members to be involved. Right. A lot of it is on their own time, but some of it has to be done on work time. That's just the nature of the, of, of the torch run. And so uh, if, if the chief of police is behind the run, then they'll have a strong, strong community support. Uh, there are some communities that the torch run isn't as strong as uh, it should be, not only in Canada, but in the United States. But, but, the, but, the, but the torch run itself is, is very well thought of. I, I did sit on the International Association Chiefs of Police Torch Run Committee as well. There was three of us, Lauren White uh, and Al Richardson and myself uh, were on that committee. Um, you feel sometimes that uh, it's such a big entity, the, the IACP, that it's uh, sometimes overwhelming. But, but I will say that uh, there is strong commitment uh, when I was on that committee for the Torch Run. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, always the problem is to have a succession plan in place uh, so that when people move on uh, out of their careers, there's someone behind there that can do it. And so, it, especially in the torch run, you can't just, you know, hand off the reins to someone with a year's training. It takes a long time to feel comfortable in what you're doing. And I was lucky to have Derek and uh, Mark step up and, and they did just an excellent job uh, of running the torch run. Well, as you yeah, say, it, it comes down to the leadership if you've got the support behind you. And I know, like you say, that's a problem in some areas, but I, I guess I'll touch on one area that's really improved over the last little while and has really jumped in with both feet is um, the corrections area. It's become oh. such a big contributor to the Ontario program. Um, and and uh, I think thanks to um, some local involvement at the higher level here in London, and I think they've seen the example of what it can do here in London, and they've kind of carried that right throughout the province with their corrections, and we're really so. It, it was it was London that uh, really started the ball rolling because there was always someone on the provincial committee from corrections. Mm -hmm. I always thought the Hamilton area was supposed to be the strong area, but yeah, well, they they do have a strength there. Um, one of the, uh, Lisa, who's Lisa O'Brien, is is one of the members. And she's a local person, but she's fairly high up with corrections and she's really pushed it in the last little while. And it's, it's made a big difference. And boy, we're seeing a lot of big contributions from the corrections okay. area. And it's great to see, you know, every little bit helps. Of course, when we can make $3.3 .3 million, 
you know, our last full year there, a lot of that goes to adding new programs like corrections mm -hmm. into it. So it's been great. It's been really good. Let's, uh, let's shift our focus just a little bit here because of the week that we're in and we're approaching fairly quickly uh, November 11th here. So we want to just touch a little bit on Remembrance Day. Sure. Um, have, is, has anybody in your family served in our armed forces? Well, uh, my, my grandfather on my father's side um, was in World War II. And, um, and I, I do have uh, actually some of his medals and his war records of when he left Canada, landed in England, how long he was in England, etc. And he was really near the, near the tail end of uh, World War II. Uh, but really there was no, uh, no other involvement uh, in our family uh, serving in the military. And uh, it wasn't until I retired that I received um, a notice um, that I was being recommended to be an honorary lieutenant colonel in, uh, for a reserve unit known as 31 Service Battalion, which really caught me by surprise since, you know, there's, I had no military background. Uh, and so um, I was approved by the uh, Minister of National Defense, Peter McKay at the time, and the Governor General, and received my scroll as an honorary lieutenant colonel for 31 Service Battalion, uh, which is located, the headquarters is here in London, but also has uh, units in Hamilton and Windsor which is the largest service battalion in Canada with approximately, uh, I think at that time there was around 380 uh, reservists. Uh, so I was the honorary Lieutenant Colonel for three years. And then um, I was promoted to the rank of a full Colonel. And I stayed there for about three and a half years with 31 service battalion. And it's a, it's an interesting uh, a group of, of, Army reservists. A service battalion is is a unit that um, that really all the other military units want to make friends of because they they cook the meals, they supply the uh, fresh water, shower, uh, <clears throat> sleeping accommodations, transport. So uh, in military logistics, uh, nothing happens unless a service battalion puts everything together first. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not the romantic um, uh, frontline warrior, but I will say the frontline warriors rely upon a service battalion for everything else that they have from ammunition to food, to clothing, to, uh, to accommodations and sleeping. And so um, I learned a lot about our, uh, our military and, and more so about our reservists. I, I always knew that, um, that the training that, uh, our regular service members and our reserves members uh, get was second to none. And while I was chief, I think I hired 18 reservists. Uh, because of that training, they, they understand teamwork, they understand command structure, they understand the importance of, of professionalism. And uh, I certainly saw that when I was uh, the honorary Lieutenant Colonel and honorary Colonel of 31 Service Battalion. And um, then I got to understand more the, the history of, of the Canadian Army, specifically reservists. You know, um, uh, 
our Canadian military could not deploy to a foreign country without the assistance of the reserve unit, which the reserve unit means that you are basically a part-time soldier. You probably have a full-time job or you're a student uh, predominantly at university and that uh, two to three nights a week you train, uh, you set aside two weekends a month to train and uh, that you're available to be deployed. Predominantly reservists are used for uh, national emergencies, whether it's a flood, a hurricane, forest fires, but many of them are deployed overseas. They were, uh, reservists were sent to Afghanistan uh, in that conflict. And so um, I was very proud to, to represent uh, the Canadian military at many Remembrance Day services, laying the wreath at uh, uh, London, of course, Cenotaph, uh, which was uh, very significant, but more significant for me was when the Cenotaph service was done in London, I uh, then would go to Parkwood Hospital and be involved in another service there for the vets who weren't able to attend um, the Cenotaph in downtown London and then have an opportunity after the, uh, the service there to uh, sit in their cafeteria and talk to them about uh, uh, their life, their experiences, and uh, and the treatment that they received, first-class treatment at Parkwood Hospital. Wow. Yeah, it gives you a whole new perspective, I think, uh, on Remembrance Day, having gone through the experience you've been able to go through, wouldn't it? Well, and not only that, um, I, you know, I, one of the, the issues, of course, is that um, that because mental health is, is uh, has been such a really a taboo subject, I think, for society to talk about, now with post-traumatic stress disorder being at the forefront, uh, many of the soldiers that have uh, come back uh, now have a, an ability to talk about this, uh, this trauma that they're experiencing. Whereas in World War I and World War II, it was more like the suck it up. No one really wants to talk about it or no one cares, but, but now it's, it's totally different. And, and so there are some great uh, programs available at Parkwood and through other organizations to help uh, our returning soldiers with post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, as well as you know, frontline emergency service workers who, who suffer and even doctors and nurses uh, through their occupation. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It, it is great that the stigma is being lifted slowly, but surely here for everybody. Well, we hope yeah. everyone does take the time uh, on this November 11th coming up to recognize the sacrifices that were made. Get out, buy your poppy, and um, remember to take a moment and reflect on November 11th. Uh, I don't believe there's a parade again this year. I think there's a small service at the Cenotaph, but no parade. Is yes, the problem, the, um, the, the Remembrance Day Committee made an announcement that again, it was going to be by invite only. Last year, it was only 25 people invited with uh, small numbers. But the provincial government actually has lifted the restrictions on uh, large community gatherings and parades. So... Mm -hmm. I still think it's probably uh, because of the short notice that's still going to be by invite only, but, but probably some people will go down to the cenotaph and uh, stand and observe uh, the service. Yeah, hopefully next year. I, I know I, I, I look forward to taking part in the parade when they have it. And the last couple of years, it's been a shame that we haven't been able to take part in that. But uh, hopefully next year we're back at it and we get to recognize people for what they deserve to be recognized for. 
Well, Murray, we want to thank you very much yeah. for taking the time tonight to speak with us. Uh, it's been great to get your insight into not only uh, Special Olympics, the torch run, but also that unique insight that you have um, in relation to Remembrance Day. So yeah, thanks very much for taking the time. And, yeah, thanks uh, for coming on. Derek, all the best in, in continuing with the, the torch run or whatever venue you can uh, help out with. Absolutely. All right. Thanks very much, Murray. And Chris and I will be right back to wrap this up. And welcome back to Guardians and Gladiators, folks. Those were two good guests that we had this week. What do you think, D? Oh, boy. That was awesome. It's great. I love hearing um, from people like John talking about the friends that they've made. We've heard this every athlete we speak with, right? About what a huge part of Special Olympics that is. And it, it's so great. And I know everybody wants to get active again and get, you know, out there um, playing their sports again. But I think just the fact of being around everybody and getting to see all their friends again is probably, if not as important, maybe more important to everybody. And, and that's so great to hear. Oh, sure it is. I, especially when we went back to floor hockey last week, it, it was great to see everybody. And instead of like, doing video chats and phone calls. You finally got to see people in person again. And that was great there. Yeah, I'll bet. That's great. I'm so glad. And, in, in, you know, it sounds like some other sports are starting to come back and, you know, it's really exciting. It's an exciting time. I mean, things are, are look like they're turning around. Fingers crossed we keep on the same road and, and uh, get everybody back out there. And then of course, speaking with Murray, you know, it's always a treat to speak with Murray. Yeah. You know, he has such a, such insight into the torch run relationship with Special Olympics because he's been with it almost since the beginning, you know, in Canada back, I think it was 87, it came to Canada and, you know, you could hear from what he told us there about his involvement at the early, early days of it and right through and the growth that that's happened, you know, due to leaders like him who really supported it, you know, I have to say he was it was easy to do torch run stuff because you had the support from your chief. Um, you know, yeah. simple things like taking cruisers to events, things like that, you know, had to be approved. And it was great to get that support. Not every law enforcement agency gets the same support, although I think it's becoming better and better. Um, but definitely to have uh, Murray there, we had all the support we could ask for. You know, and that unique... Oh, yeah. uh, look into the armed forces, you know, him having that experience over the last number of years to kind of get an inside look at it and then being able to speak with the veterans alone, it, you know, would be, would be so great. So, yeah. Um, again, coming up this week, November 11th, Remembrance Day. So we want to make sure everybody takes the time on the 11th to recognize the sacrifices that everybody has made so that we can live the life we live and be able yes. to make incredible podcasts such as guardians and gladiators yes yes make sure you say thanks to those men and women that wear the uniform absolutely. on the 11th wear your poppies absolutely okay well that's going to wrap it up for this episode we uh look forward to next week we thank you all for joining us uh, we thank again the London Knights and the OHL for allowing my host here, Lozi, to get out there and drop the puck. 
and to and their recognition of Special Olympics throughout the game was excellent as well. A few videos played on the big screen with the athletes, and you know it was really nice to get that exposure to the people. Yes, it so, was. Yeah. So thanks to the Knights, and we look forward to next week when we meet with you again. Till next week, folks. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.